This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle or for anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 22. It's the basis of the sermon here at First Free Methodist Church on January 15, 2023. It's the second in a message series called Value the Difference, which focuses on the values Christians hold, not only at FFMC, but anywhere. And the value we're focusing on in this text is the value of justice. We begin this passage of scripture by taking a look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 13, that read as this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Those two verses really set the stage for the passage that's going to follow. Deuteronomy literally means second law. Deuter meaning two, nomos, that's the Greek word for law. Deuteronomy means second law. So it's really a restatement of the law that we received in Exodus, Leviticus, and partially in Numbers. But now it's a restatement of that law formed as a sermon. So Deuteronomy is billed as the parting sermons given by Moses to the people of Israel. And so uh, Deuteronomy is really kind of uh, the Reader's Digest version, if you will, of the preceding books in the Torah. It's a version of Israel's history in Deuteronomy, and that's framed by covenant fidelity and obedience. This is the heart of Deuteronomy, and it becomes the guiding principle for a lot of the literature in the Old Testament, literature that we call, hold on for the word, Deuteronomistic. In other words, these are passages of scripture that we read elsewhere in the Bible that sound very much like Deuteronomy and how Deuteronomy frames things in this conversation of covenant fidelity and obedience. How well have we maintained the covenant with God? This particular section begins the conclusion of the sermon that opened the book. So Deuteronomy is a collection of sermons uh, uh, spoken uh, traditionally by Moses. So this part that we're reading from chapter 10 is the conclusion of the first sermon, and it opens with a requirement we actually know far better from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Doesn't it sound familiar? And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? It says in verse 12. And there's some requirements here that are spelt out that um, make clear what the point of this first sermon in Deuteronomy is all about. So the first thing it tells us to do is to fear the Lord your God. In other words, recognize the holy otherness of God, that there is a way in which God is God and we are not, that even though we're in relationship, there is a, a, a differentiation between who God is and who we are. So the first thing we do is to fear the Lord our God. And that fear has a a variety of implications. Fear here doesn't mean terror. It means healthy respect or healthy differentiation. And so the imperative comes to us that we're to, in the middle of verse, 13, uh, verse 12, it says to walk in all his ways and love him. Uh, the idea of walk is a common one in the Old Testament. 
and it really conjures the image that goes back to Genesis chapter 2, where God would walk with Adam and with Eve in the Garden of Eden. So this notion of walking becomes a thread throughout the Bible that to walk with God is to be in harmony, to be in relationship, to be connected. And what happens is that in the Garden of Eden, there's a separation that occurs because of the actions of Adam and Eve that that disjoins or disconnects their walk with God. And so the idea is to strive and to move as human beings closer and closer to walking with God in all his ways. And to be clear, it's not just obedience. It says to walk in his ways and love him. Then the text goes on to say, to serve the Lord with all your heart and soul. And so this call to serve is whole. It's not a partial form of service. It is a complete form of service that we're to have. And then finally goes on to say, to keep the commandments and the statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good. This is again, clearly deuteronomistic. In other words, that we're to keep the commandment and statutes, we're to maintain a fidelity with God and obedience to the covenant. And the commandments of God, all of them that have been given throughout the Torah, these commandments reflect this reality. The Torah is the is the name for these first five books of the Bible. And the Torah conveys to us kind of the guardrails or the guidelines. And at the heart of all of these is that God is at the center. And that's really the first key passageway for us. Jesus' followers make God the center of all things. These words that we read in Deuteronomy 10 are no different than the words that Jesus commanded us. Jesus quotes this passage of scripture on more than one occasion. God requires an ongoing relationship of love as the basis for our life. And so what we learn is something important. There is no such thing as a recreational or occasional follower of Jesus. It is either all in or not all in. Uh, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, is uh, well known for his saying in his annual covenant prayer, part of the watch night service, that either Jesus or God is Lord of all or not at all. It's rather binary, on, off. It either is or it isn't. And it's all about shaping our life with Jesus at the center of all things. This text now goes on in verses 14 and 15 to highlight exactly why God is worthy of this and also how God expresses a sense of that same love and justice to us. In other words, the same things we're told to do in verses 12 and 13, God has in many ways done for us. Verse 14 and 15, read as follow again in the New American Standard Bible. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that's in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you over all other peoples, as it is this day. This text now turns to the one way God has expressed himself. It begins with the description of God's supreme place in all things, that to God belong the heaven and the highest heavens. This is designed to make the contrast complete, that, that all that there is in the cosmos belong to God. Yet in that great place of exaltation and that, that great position of having all things, 
God chooses to set his affection on your fathers to love them. And of course, Deuteronomy is addressed to the Jewish people. And so uh, the, 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 the writer is pointing back to God's call of Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, that God called Abram and Sarai to be the, the, the beginning of this people that God would form. This, this truth cannot be overstated, the way in which Deuteronomy is leaning back into the patriarchal history found in the book of Genesis. God said his affection on your fathers to love them. God, in infinite power, being supreme in all things, chooses to express love toward the Israelites. Relationship is at the center of this equation. You see, what we read in the Bible here is not about the impartation of some ethical code. It's about providing the guardrails for a relationship of love between God and his people and between those people of God and those that we're called to love. This is the key passageway for us, that love expressed is the only reality where love exists. It's a common mistake in our culture to view love as sentimentality or some type of internal feeling or infatuation or attraction. Biblical love is expressed and embodied. God loves Israel by calling them. When we consider those we love in our lives as human beings, that can only be measured or even known in our behaviors. If we feel love but do nothing about it, our love is actually empty. We could even look to John chapter 3, verse 16, in the opening words of that verse, God so loved the world that he gave. Just stop there. That gives us the entire truth about what love means. And, and if that's true, then we're going to learn something here in a moment about God's justice that relates to that sense of love. This is a unique essence of the Christian faith, that God becomes one among us, driven by love, embodied in the very flesh and blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. Finally, the text turns to this notion of God's justice. All of this justice that is outlined in verses 16 to 22 is predicated on everything you've already heard in this passage of scripture. There's this idea of love that God with infinite power chooses to relate to a people. God wants to be relational and engaged and this love relationship flows out of the heart of God. So we need to understand God's justice in verses 16 to 22 in the same way. Even verse 16, it tells us, so circumcise your heart and do not stiffen your neck any longer. The bulk of this text now becomes directive by means of imitation. In other words, do as God has done. This is the very definition of justice is that it is grounded in an economy of love and grace. It is not grounded in law. This is very difficult for those who are part of an American culture to understand that justice is not grounded in law for us as people of faith. It's grounded in the economy of love and grace. Notice what the, the, is said at the very beginning of this text. So circumcise your heart. 
It, it has nothing to do with anatomy or maleness when we talk about circumcision in this way. It is about an inner condition. It's a way in which we've set ourselves apart for God's purpose and God's call. And so the, the idea here is that there is an internal movement that has to happen, that justice in many ways is an expression of love. So there has to be an inner circumcision, a circumcision of the heart. Otherwise, the outer is a waste. So love, if it's real, only when it's expressed, then we have to understand then that the expression of love in many ways is an expression of justice. But that expression of love is formed by an inner reality. This is what makes justice slightly different in the world in which we live. And we'll talk about this in a few moments in the key passageway. That justice within our culture and our world is reflected as, a, as an extension of law, an extension of ethic, whereas justice we read in Scripture is grounded in relationship and love. And so even the writer tells us in, in this very same verse, so circumcise your heart, do not stiffen your neck any longer. So the stiffening of the neck means stubbornness. It's a, it's a metaphor having to do with an animal that refuses to move its head, almost like a dog out for a walk that refuses to walk any further. Stubbornness is an expression of a lack of love and in some ways a misdirected inner love. It's an assertion of one's own will. In other words, love has turned inward only, not outward. God does not show partiality, the text goes on to tell us. It's very similar to what we hear Peter say in Acts chapter 10. I know now that God shows no partiality, he says. It's the same thing here, for the Lord your God is the God of the Lord of lords and the great and the mighty. And the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Now, it might be hard for us to imagine the fact that God doesn't show partiality when we just got through reading a text that God set his affection on Abram and Sarai, and God picked a particular people. That God didn't pick everyone, he picked just them. So how is it that God can not be partial or guilty of partiality? Well, the idea is very important at the end of verse 17. It says, nor take a bribe. That's an important qualifier. And what this means is that there's no way to earn or deserve or to qualify or merit or do anything that entitles us to God's love. God didn't choose Abram and Sarai because they did anything in particular or they gave God anything in particular. You can't buy God's affection. God simply chose them. And so this is the basis then that leans us into the rest of this text where it talks about how God executes justice for the orphan. The widow shows his love for the stranger by giving him food and clothing. Then it goes on to say, so show your love for the stranger for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Fascinating how this connection of love and justice is made here. So the basis of justice for the orphan, the widow, and the stranger is important because each of these individuals in the ancient world, the orphan, in other words, a child with no parents, the widow, a woman with no patriarchal or male covering, and the stranger, in other words, a person who is without family, these are all considered to be drains on resources. Notice what the orphan, the widow, and the stranger all have in common. They're estranged in relationship. They are outside of community. The orphan is missing a family. The widow is missing a spouse. The stranger is missing a homeland. They're all missing community. They're regarded in the ancient world as drains on resources. In other words, people have to give to them 
in order for them to be sustained or to function that they're lacking. They take. Let this settle in for a moment. God directs justice to those who have no agency or capacity whatsoever. Then the people of God are told to do the same thing. So that God's justice is directed toward those who are at the margins, those who are estranged, those who are set apart in, a, in, a, in an awful sort of way, those who are orphans, widows, strangers, and those like them. God directs justice to people who have no agency or capacity. And we're told to do the same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 10, love the stranger. Why? Because we all used to be strangers in some sort of way. God has adopted all of us. Now, the proof is in the fruit of what this looks like. And that's what the rest of this passage goes on to talk about. Fear God, serve God, cling to God, swear by his name. So if we claim to be aligned to God, then we have to remember that everything we have is owed to him, just like the text tells us in verse 21. He is your glory and he is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you which your eyes have seen. God has done all of these powerful things in our midst to show us that the act of love and justice is not an expense of energy. In other words, those who need justice aren't draining us of something. Rather, justice as an extension of God's love amplifies the very nature and character of God and grows the reign and rule of God. How else could 70 people, the text tells us in verse 22, who went down to Egypt when Joseph went there along with Jacob and the entire family appeared in Egypt. How did God take 70 people and turn them into a great nation? They were orphans, strangers, wanderers, and God turned them into a great nation. So we have to remember the same thing. It's a key passageway for us here. That justice is a reception and an extension of God's love. Followers of Jesus must recognize that God's love in Jesus is a gift that flows from the heart of God, from a heart of love. So if we're to receive that love, then we must accept a call to offer that same love. Martin Bieber tells us that human justice is a failed approximation of God's justice and that all human justice is a failed approximation of God's justice. Because God's justice is grounded in restoration. It's grounded in healing. It's grounded in reconciliation. Oftentimes we perceive those things to be weak, to be not assertive, to not enforcing the rule of law and order. Well, I would advise you to look at what God has done with it. God is not a God of law and order. God is a God of restoration, of affection, of relationship of reconciliation. If you have comments or reflections, I'd love to hear from you. Please visit my website, revcraig.com. Click on news in the upper right-hand corner, and then the drop-down menu, you'll see podcasts. Click on that button. And then you can click on a particular episode. And when you do so, then you can leave a comment. I'd also encourage you to visit our website for our church, ffmc.org, firstfreemethodistchurch.org, ffmc.org, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.